Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again. So the story goes that um, Einstein and Mr. Bean were having an IQ competition to see who was smarter. And Einstein was so confident that he will win that he said to Mr. Bean, let's have a wager. I ask you a question, and if you cannot answer my question, you just need to give me one dollar. But you ask me any question. If I can't answer your question, I'll give you a thousand dollars. So Mr. Bean goes, okay. okay. So Einstein gives this really hard relativity question, and of course Mr. Bean can't answer it. He takes out a dollar and gives to him. Then it's Mr. Bean's turn. So he says, um, what, what animal is there that has four legs? It crosses the road, then it has three legs. Then when it crosses back, it has five legs. So Einstein was totally stumped. He thought and thought and thought and just couldn't come up with the answer. So he took out $1,000 and gave it to Mr. Bean. So Mr. Bean took it, turned around to go, and Einstein said, wait, 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 don't go yet. So what animal is it? So Mr. Bean goes, ah, takes out $1 and gives it to Einstein. Friends, asking the right question is so important. You have to ask the right question. And today's message actually springs from a question that the Thessalonian Christians had asked Paul. In order to understand our text today, we must piece together from Paul's answer what the question was because that question was not recorded for us. So let's just jump right into it as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and today we'll only be looking at three verses. Allow me to read it to you from the Christian Standard Bible. This is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 3 says, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse 1 of this text that we just read shows us that Paul was answering a question that the Thessalonians had asked him. But we need to kind of piece it together because the question was not recorded for us. So it's a little bit like when you hear someone on the phone, but you only hear this side of the conversation. You don't hear what's said on the other side, but you can kind of piece it together based on the answers that are given that you hear on this side. That's what we need to do to figure out what question was asked of Paul that led him to give this answer from verse 1 to verse 3. Verse 1 tells us that 
It is about the times and seasons. That's a strange way to start a, 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 a conversation or, or a letter, right? It's about the times and seasons. He must have been saying this because the question came to him, what about the times and seasons? Ah, okay. So the times and seasons, it's about a question of when, right? When something happens. Furthermore, in verse 2, there is the mention of the day of the Lord. So there is something to do, the question has something to do with when and something to do with the day of the Lord. If you would look further down, as we would next week in verse 4 to verse 11, you will see that Paul goes on to show what the Thessalonian church is to do about the day of the Lord. So piecing these together, putting all these pieces of the jigsaw together, I humbly put to you that the question that was most likely asked of Paul that he was giving an answer to is, when is the day of the Lord that we may be ready for it? It's quite likely that the Thessalonians had sent a message to Paul asking him, so when is the day of the Lord? So that if we know, we can get ready for it. It kind of reminds me of um, my son and I when we used to go to McDonald's on Tuesday every morning. Tuesday is my day off. At the time, he was primary two, and uh, he, he would have his tingsie on Tuesday afternoons. Tingsie is um, spelling and dictation in Chinese. And, and what we would do is we would go for brunch together on, on Tuesday morning, and then after we had our our makan, we would, I would go through with him his things here. Why? Because Tuesday afternoon is when he was required to do his things here. So before this, he would have done some revision on his own, but Tuesday morning is the critical time. That's when we have to cram everything into the short-term memory so that he can remember it, so that that afternoon he will peak in his performance and be able to give all the right words. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yes. This was what the Thessalonians were probably thinking. If we know when the test is going to be, like King said, if we know when Jesus is going to come, then we'll be able to prepare for it just in time. Then we can peak just at the time, just before Jesus comes. Okay? When is the day of the Lord that we may be ready for it? But my friends, was this the right question to ask? Because if you ask the wrong question, even if you get the answer, the answer is not going to help you. And we see that Paul, in answering the question of the Thessalonians, instead of answering the when question, Paul answered a what question. Paul answered them what the day of the Lord will look like. And he used two word pictures to describe the day of the Lord. Essentially, what Paul was saying to them, if I may just very loosely paraphrase it, is that if you understand what the day of the Lord is really about, then you won't be asking about when to help you to prepare for it because that's the wrong way. That's the wrong way to prepare for the day of the Lord. Let's take a look at these two word pictures as we try to put together what the day of the Lord is and we figure out how then are we to be prepared for the day of the Lord. The first word picture shows us that the day of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected. The day of the Lord will be sudden 
and unexpected. Where do we see that in verse 2? Reading the whole of verse 2, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now let's hold that picture for a moment and let's just backtrack a little bit. Wait, wait, what is this day of the Lord, day of the Lord? We may not be as familiar with the idea of the day of the Lord, but certainly the audience that Paul was writing to was absolutely familiar. Because in verse 2 it says, For you yourselves know very well. They were very familiar because many of the believers of the Thessalonian church were Jewish believers who had converted to Christianity and others were Gentiles who had become Jews and then uh, are now worshipping Jesus. So they would be very familiar in the Jewish tradition with what is the day of the Lord. And that's why Paul says, you yourselves know very well. It's a little bit like if we Singaporeans say to one another these four letters, it brings about dread and terror. If we were to say that to another Singaporean, they would get it right away. But if you go anywhere else in the world, they won't know what you're talking about. What are these four letters? P-S-L-E. <laughs> Singapore parents, you know exactly what I mean. But if it were anywhere else in the world and you mentioned these four letters in, in, in consecutive, they would have no idea what you're talking about. Similarly, we have not much of an idea what is the day of the Lord. And I think it's needful for us to have some understanding of what this day of the Lord is in order for us to know what then we need to do in order to be prepared. The Thessalonians understood, Paul understood, we didn't. So let's dig a little bit into the Old Testament and see what it is that they had in their frame of mind that we may not really have just yet. So here's a quick overview. The Day of the Lord is actually a technical term and there are so many scriptures that relate to the Day of the Lord, we can't possibly cover all of them. But for today, I'd just like to highlight three aspects of the day of the Lord that will help us to have an understanding as we read this text. First, from the Old Testament, the day of the Lord brings about this idea of vengeance, that the Lord will judge, right? And this idea of vengeance is that God will destroy his enemies, and that is terrifying. But even more is that even his own people, God will judge for their sins. A God of vengeance will act on the day of the Lord. Then there's the idea of vindication. And in vindication, God will deliver his people from their suffering. So the day of the Lord is both a day of terror because God is going to act against his enemies and even amongst his own people who are sinful. But at the same time, God is going to deliver his people from suffering. And that's a good thing. The day of the Lord also conveys this idea that there's a visitation from the Lord. And this visitation brings about the idea that God's presence will be imminent. God will draw near to his people. So when Paul says that you are well aware of what the, the day of the Lord is, these are some of the ideas that the Thessalonian church would have had when they were reading about the day of the Lord. But in the New Testament, 
when the writers of the New Testament built upon the ideas of the Old Testament, we see when we read the New Testament that these ideas have since developed and that the New Testament writers have expounded and expanded on the theology of the day of the Lord. So in the New Testament, the idea of vengeance is still there, but the, the, the wrath of God, the judgment and the destruction that God has promised seems to be more directed at God's enemies. God still vindicates his people in the idea of the day of the Lord in the New Testament, but God will deliver his people, the enemy, the chief enemy being sin and death. And the idea of the visitation of the Lord comes across magnificently in the day of the Lord, that the Lord draws near to his people when Jesus, the King, will return. The day of the Lord in the Old Testament, as the Thessalonians, as Paul would have been familiar with, and then expanded as we read in the New Testament. To the unbeliever, the day of the Lord is a day of terror, and to the believer, it is a day of great joy. So is this day of the Lord the same as the second coming of Christ? The New Testament has reinterpreted, as you can see from the chart, the Old Testament idea to associate it with the second coming of our Lord Jesus. So the New Testament refers to the day of the Lord as the day of our Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. The day of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. In fact, all of Paul's letters express this longing for the day of Christ's glorious manifestation. This is best seen in the book of Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. This is what Paul says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, okay, the second coming of our Lord Jesus, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Can you see that in these two verses, Paul is using these two terms almost interchangeably, synonymously, indicating to us very clearly that the day of the Lord in its New Testament interpretation applies now to the coming of our Lord Jesus again. Let's come back to the picture. Now that we have an idea of what the day of the Lord is, the day of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected just like a thief coming in the night. This word picture tells us that the day of the Lord cannot be predicted. You don't know the time. You don't know when. And that's why Paul says the times and the seasons. You, ask, you know very well. Actually, what he means is you know very well that you don't know. We don't know. A thief doesn't call you up in advance to make an appointment. Tonight, I'm coming to rob your house. They don't do that. They don't come and, and, and announce their arrival with a grand uh, uh, entry. Ta-da, I'm here. No. How does a thief strike? Silently, but suddenly and unexpectedly. When you least expect it, they slip in into your house, they steal what they want to take, and then they slip off. And by the time you discover that your home has been broken into, He's long gone. That's the modus operandi of a thief. And Paul says that the day of the Lord 
will be just like that, sudden and unexpected. Not saying that the Lord will be like a thief, but saying that the Lord's coming again will be as sudden and as unexpected as the coming of a thief. And Paul isn't the only one to use this metaphor. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 12 says, but know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then the Apostle Peter also says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. All these are prophecies of the day of the Lord and they all refer to it using the metaphor of a thief. Silent, sudden, unexpected. The only way for us to be ready then is to be ever ready, to be ever ready. For some of us who are familiar with uh, the financial markets, with investment, you'll be familiar with this term, timing the markets. It's actually not a good way of investment. Timing the markets means you try to time your buying and selling such that you buy at a point when it's low and you sell at a point when it's high. That's timing the market, right? Actually, I think it's more like speculation. I don't think that's a good investment strategy. There are better investment strategies like hedging, dollar cost averaging, uh, uh, and, and um, what was the other one? Diversifying your, your portfolio and so on. But the trouble is that if we approach investment with the wrong strategy, with timing the market, we find that we set ourselves up for trouble. Just as the Thessalonians, if they were to try to approach the, the day of the Lord, expecting that they can time the coming of the Lord Jesus so that they can time to peak their performance just as Jesus is coming, then they are headed for trouble. What does it mean for us then as Christians? Are we mistaken like the Thessalonians thinking that we can time the market, that we can time when Jesus is coming again? Do we think that you know, now that we believe in Jesus, we can continue to live in a, in a life of indulgent sin as long as we repent at the last minute, or maybe last day, or, or maybe last two, three days, just before Jesus comes, then we'll get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. My friends, the trouble is we don't know when Jesus is coming again. There's a second picture second picture of what the day of the Lord will be like and that picture tells us that the day of the Lord will be sure and unavoidable. Sure and unavoidable. Here's what the text say in reading the whole of verse 3. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Labour pains on a pregnant woman are sure and unavoidable. They will not escape. But before we go there, let's take a look at this peace and security. What's this about peace and security? Uh, at, at that time when Paul was writing to Thessalonica, uh, this city was enjoying uh, what was called Pax Romana. Pax Romana, is, uh, it means Roman peace. It was a period that was established by Augustus and the Roman Empire was providing protection, military protection, to all its governed provinces. And because it was doing so, 
every province was enjoying peace. And along with peace, there was social stability, there was economic prosperity. They were enjoying a good life, a period of peace and security. So much so that there were people in the city in Thessalonica that out of their gratitude, to Augustus, they erected a temple in honour of Julius Caesar, the divine, and Augustus, the son of God. They believed that Augustus was the son of God who had brought them this peace. Friends, you say, no, we don't believe that, we we don't have that, no, no Pax Romana. Friends, think again. Are we not also enjoying a great peace in our land? that brings about social stability, economic prosperity, are we perhaps enjoying Pax Singapura? Are we perhaps enjoying this to the extent that we may not even realise that this good life has detracted us from the source, from God who has given us this blessing, so much so that we are pursuing after all the wrong things that this good life has given us. Pax Singapura. Let's come back to this picture. The day of the Lord will be sure and unavoidable. The destruction that this brings will be certain. Some of you will be quick to notice and say, hey, earlier, didn't you just say that it is sudden and unexpected? If it's sudden and unexpected, how can it be sure and unavoidable? Friends, the truth is, it is both. It is both. For a woman who is pregnant, you can be sure that the labour pains are unavoidable. There is no way that you can get through the whole of your pregnancy and deliver your baby without going through the certainty of your labour pains. But at the same time, do you know exactly when it's going to happen? You don't. Even with an estimated date of delivery, an EDD, you still don't know exactly when it's going to be. You know for sure that it is unavoidable and yet it will come upon you suddenly and unexpectedly. I know some of you are thinking, ah, yeah, that's true, maybe in those days. But now we can avoid labour pains because there is C-section and there is epidural. So you may be right, but you are reading scriptures from the lenses of today's world of medical science. This is a picture taken when my daughter was about two minutes old. Uh, This was still in the labor ward, but this was after all the drama was over. When the drama was on, my wife was squeezing my hand. I was like any blur husband, not knowing what was going on, uh, just holding the camera and taking pictures, as you can see. And, and, and my wife tells me she remembers even to this day the, 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 the labour pains, the contractions were so intense. This is how she describes it. She says it's like the steel beams, the ones that are being pounded by a power driver as, as the foundations of a building. It's like the steel beams being rammed into her continuously. It was that painful. Friends, labour pains, sure, unavoidable. And no joke at all. You know what I remember? I remember seeing that 
when she went through this, eventually she said, I can't take it anymore. Give me the epidural. So she, put, she took on the epidural and immediately she said, oh, I wish I had started this right from the start. <laughs> at the end of it, what I remember was I looked at the epidural. We only used one third of it. I asked, can I tap out the other two thirds used for the next one? So friends, no joke at all. And this is the picture that Paul paints for us. In his day, there was no epidural, no C-section. What they had were many women who died in the course of their labor because the labor was so intense, because there were complications. There were many who gave their lives in the course of delivering their babies. And such is the picture of sudden destruction that Paul paints for them. Then you go, them, who's them? When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. So who are the them? They will not escape these labor pains of a pregnant woman, the sudden destruction. Who's them? Friends, I humbly put to you that if you contrast verse 3 with verse 1 and 2, it becomes quite clear who them is. Because in verse 1 and verse 2, Paul refers to the church to whom he was writing as brothers and sisters, you, you, yourselves. And then suddenly in verse 3, he talks about they and them. Clearly, this group of they and them, those to whom sudden destruction will come, do not belong to the church. In other words, these were those who were outside the church, those who had yet to come to know Jesus. And for us today, my friends, I ask you, who are those in our lives? Those who are not yet brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are those who may have misplaced their peace and their security in false gods? Those who may be living a life away from God and are so much in need of Jesus. All of us have these people in our lives all of us have these they and them in our lives. And I want to call out to you to remember them because this is where they are headed if they continue on the same road. Would you do what you can to reach out to them and help them to come to know our Lord Jesus? Friends, if there are some of us who are here who are not yet believers of Jesus, you've not made Jesus your personal Lord and Saviour, then I call out to you that today, would you give your life over to Jesus? Not out of fear of sudden destruction that will come upon you, but because our Lord Jesus beckons and calls you and wants to enfold you into this group, the group of people that He calls the church, the group of people that He loves the group of people that he is coming to save. In a moment, at the end of the service, I'm going to give a call. I'm going to invite you, if you've not yet received Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity to do so. So friends, as we come to the end of the service, or at the end of the message, I'd like to, I'd like to come back to the question that we started when is the day of the Lord that we may be ready for it? If this is the question that we're asking, then we're asking the wrong question. Because the day of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected. 
There's no way we can anticipate it. We won't know when. And then the day of the Lord will be sure and unavoidable. And we can be absolutely certain of that. In other words, there is no way that we can prepare for the way of the Lord by waiting till the last market, last market, timing the market, the last minute. There's no way that we can do that. Instead, we need to be ever ready for the Lord's return. Friends, I've told this story a number of times. Some of you would have heard it, that uh, when I was serving in my national service, uh, my role uh, was to defend the air base from enemy infiltration. And every two or three years or so, we'll have an exercise. Uh, for three days and two nights, we'll be out in the airfield. We'll be waiting for the enemy. And we'll be waiting and waiting and waiting. And the enemy, the, the commandos, they would, they would take their time, sometime during the period of this exercise, to come and infiltrate. They'll cut the fence and they'll come in. And we'll be waiting and waiting. The first day, we'll all be on alert, waiting and waiting, and nothing happens. The second day, we are a little bit tired. We're trying to be alert and nothing happens. By the time it comes to the third day, we are all dead tired. And by that time, that's when the commandos know that we are tired. That's when they just cut the, cut the fence. They come right up to us. They look at us and they see us sleeping. They find us sleeping. Every year, every year, the results of this exercise is the same. Commandos win, we lose all the time. And, and I share this story to say we must be ever ready, we must be on alert, we must be vigilant. But I also ask myself, is it possible for us to be awake, alert, vigilant, 24-7-365? And this week, as I was preparing for this message on Friday, the Lord deposited a message on my heart. As I asked the Lord, is it possible? Of course, the answer that I had in my heart is not possible, right? How can we be ever ready? How can we be always alert? Cannot. And the Lord's reply to me was a different kind of readiness. The Lord brought me back to the picture of the thief. You see, if we knew when the thief was coming, what would we do? If we knew when he was coming, we would clear our home of all our loved ones. We'll probably alert the police, tell them to be on standby to ambush. If you are adventurous, maybe you'll hold a baseball bat and wait there as well and be ready for a fight. When the, when the thief comes, you get into a fight, you overpower him and feel so good. Ha, you didn't manage to break into my home, right? That's what you would do if you knew when the thief was coming. But the trouble is we don't know. How then are we to prevent a burglar from breaking in into a house when we don't know how or when they are coming? Answer, we install good locks. We cultivate good practices of locking our door, closing our windows. We cooperate with our neighbours to watch out for one another so that when I'm away, they are watching over my home. When they are away, I'm watching over their home. And that's how we can be ever ready. A different kind of readiness. And today I believe the Lord is calling us to be ever ready with a different kind of readiness. Not the 24-7-365 waiting on alert for enemy to come kind of readiness, but the kind of readiness that calls us to live a life that is pleasing to God, that calls us to walk daily with God in personal devotion, in godliness, in holiness, so that at any time when the Lord comes, He'll find us walking closely with him. He'll find us ever ready. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you that you've given us this stark reminder that if we are to prepare for the day of the Lord, we need to be ever ready. Not timing the return because your return will be sudden and unexpected and yet sure and unavoidable. So Lord, would you help us? Help us to be ever ready. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to call us to sing this song in response. We sang it earlier. Would you stand together as we sing um, to turn our eyes upon Jesus and especially as we look to Jesus' coming again. Come to one. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely In the light of His glory Church, I ask us to look to Jesus right now. So for those of us who say, yes, I've been struggling to be vigilant, to be ever ready. I, I don't know how I can be ready 24-7-365. Well, today, I believe the word of the Lord for you is a different kind of readiness. A readiness whereby your life is ready all the time. Walking in holiness, following Jesus, keeping short accounts with the Lord repenting from sin and growing in our discipleship. How many of us want that? If, if that's you, say, yes, Lord, I want to be ever ready. I want to be walking closely with you, to be found ever ready at any time. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray for you? Say, yes, Lord, I want to be ever ready. I want to be ever ready. Even if I slip and fall, I will pick myself up and I will come back. I want to be ever ready. Lord, you see each hand that's lifted, hand that says, Lord, I want to be ever ready for the return of my King. 
a heart that expresses a desire to follow you and to walk closely with you. So Father, would you honour that? Would you honour that, O oh God? Would you enable each one here who's lifted his hand or her hand to follow closely after Jesus, to be walking daily with you in personal devotion, cultivating godliness that they may enjoy your goodness and be ready for you at your coming in any time. You may put down your hands, but I'd like to call now those who may not have believed in Jesus before and today you'd like to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You say, Jesus, I believe in you for the first time today and I want to give my life to you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand that I may pray for you very quickly. If there's anyone who says, I want to respond to this call, I want to give of my life to Jesus for the first time. Would you lift your hand up high so that I can see and I will pray for you. Anyone? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, can all of us, can we pray this, especially those who have lift, lifted your hands? Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I've often placed my peace and security in others. Today I repent and recognize that you are the true King. You are my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to follow you as I invite you to come into my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let's sing this song again, just the chorus. Okay, from verse 4. Turn your eyes to the heavens. Our King will return for His own. Every knee will bow, every tongue will shout. All glory to Jesus alone. People, let's worship Jesus. Lift our hands to Jesus. Come, worship Jesus. He is our compelling vision. Oh, Jesus. Our glory, Lord. Yes. Yes. Let that be our consuming prize, oh God. I call you our Savior. We turn our eyes on you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892 6811. Or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.